Welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd, middle initial C, Walker. Yes, that's right. It's me, and we have been listening to the song Safe Harbor by Safe Harbor. Isn't that a coincidence? And I am sitting in the living room of the Safe Harbor Estate in Jefferson, Maryland, and right across in social distancing 
required space is Sam and Catherine Ott of Safe Harbor. Hi, guys. Hi. How you doing, Todd? I'm doing well. Now, what's interesting is that song was written after you named yourself Safe Harbor or before? After. It was after. It it, it actually didn't uh, come about till our second CD. Yeah, it, it, it came on the set because Catherine kept saying, okay, we need something uh, more like a theme song type thing. And, you know, I had a few things rolling through my head. And so that's how Safe Harbor came about. It's actually kind of where my head was at before our relationship started. And then once she came into the relationship with me, you know, where I got to. Uh, so it kind of all fell into place, it, all except for the na-na-na part. I was try, always trying to think what lyrics could go in there. Never could figure out any words that it really fit. So, when in doubt, when na, in na, doubt, na. go with na na na. Well, it worked for Cat Stevens. You know why not? Exactly. I mean, he had million sellers with with that kind of stuff. In it. Less is better, right? That's correct. So between the two of you, who is the lyricist? Catherine's better at it than I am. But but it varies because we we write separately or we write together. So but when sometimes some of our best songs are when he gets a lot of great ideas kind of spontaneously. And I I see myself as the closer sometimes because he would just he would work with it, he'd discard it and move on. But sometimes I'd be like, wait a minute, there, there's something good there. It just needs needs a few more lyrics, needs another section in it. So it, it could be either way. Yeah, I get a lot of ideas, but sometimes just finishing or getting I'll, I'll get frustrated with myself because it's like I start something and it's like I got a great thing going and then I forget it you're it the just G- doesn't come out part you're the John Lennon of the duo <laughs> and Catherine is the George Harrison because from what I understand especially towards the end of the group's history well being actually a group that John would come in with unfinished just okay. ideas and George Harrison would kind of lead him through and say no do this do this do this and, mm-hmm. and make a song out of it which yeah. is so that's that's pretty good. I yeah. mean, they they sold a few records. <laughs> they, they didn't do too bad. Well, yeah. it's, I have found because I, I I had started writing songs when I started playing at around fourteen. But I think when you have multiple inputs, it just it it broadens the uh, the ideas and the spectrum of what you can do. I, I feel like a lot of times we come up with better songs when we work yeah. together. Now, so you started writing, Catherine, around fourteen. Sam, did you write songs early on? I did, but not. Too much. I, I spent a lot of time on the tractor on the farm, and I was belting out stuff. After Some of my best stuff is sitting out there in the middle of the field. I mean, <laughs> you know, because once again, I'd have this great idea, and I am screaming over a tractor going up through the field, and then I'd get back to the house to want to write it down, and I've already forgot it. So, well, that brings up the history from both of you, and not that I want to go to the gentleman first because normally it's ladies first but since he just mentioned the farm if you don't mind sam so did you grow up here in jefferson yes i've lived pretty much all my life here except for a few years in frederick but yep i grew up and born and raised here well when you lived in frederick you were my neighbor uh yes i was right across the street that's right (laughs) so now what type of farm was it this was a dairy farm uh the most we one time we had about 125 head of cattle we we were running uh, it's about a um, little less than 200 acres, and mostly it was a dairy farm. We did a few, bo- few beef cattle for our own so, uh, consumption, but mostly uh, dairy. Okay, and Catherine, where did you grow up? Well, that's a complicated question. Part of it in Pennsylvania, I've, I've moved around a lot, but uh, my, my early years in uh, Pennsylvania outside Philadelphia. But I'm a suburban girl, so this whole farm thing has been uh, quite the education to me. 
Well, there are certain aromas associated with farming, especially dairy. She's getting used to those. <laughs> and, and the sounds. Cows do a lot more than just mooing. And, and then you can hear some really strange sounds at night that takes some getting used to. But oh, yeah. I, I love it. It's, we've had a 6 o'clock in the morning. We've had a woodpecker wake us up out of bed because, you know, going to town on the side of our house, which is not wood. So I'm not sure what he... Uh, he was a, persistent. He was persistent. He wasn't getting anywhere. <laughs> Between that and the cats and rabbits and, you know, and we got deer and, and foxes yeah. and everything. Wild turkeys, through, so. yeah. Wild turkey, so. Now, you built your house on a part of the farm, didn't you? Correct. Yeah, this, uh, this actually was uh, part of our uh, uh, pasture field. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were right across from the barn. Uh, so, yeah, I got this. My grandparents, uh, or my, well, my grandfather had passed away, but my grandmother, before she passed away, had, uh, had uh, allowed us, given us this acre, acre and a half to build on. So, because of the current situation, we weren't able to build on an acre of ground. We actually had to expand it to an acre and a half. Mm-hmm. The county has a lot of regulations <laughs> about these sort of things. They do. And, uh, yeah, so between, you know, the way it was laid out and everything. So, yeah, we're we're sitting in the middle of an old pasture field. All right. Well, you've been put out to pasture, Sam. <laughs> I can't do, well, I could do the... There you go. <laughs> so, Catherine, you grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Correct. What was your first foray into music, and in what form did it take? Oh, well, so, so both of my parents were musicians, My mother and my grandmother, my mother's mother, had been a music teacher. So my mother had, had started piano at five. She played the xylophone. She was very accomplished. My dad played the cello, stand-up bass, so I'd been surrounded by music my whole life. They, they listened to music all the time. So I can't remember not loving music. But what really did it for me when I was about six years old, my dad got me a transistor radio that looked like a Sunoco gas pump. And I listened to that. I burned through the batteries on that thing. I was listening to the AM radio in the 60s. Because I was just a little kid. It was, you know, mid, mid-60s, mid and I loved it. In fact, I was so young, I remember thinking that I actually thought that people were live in the studio singing. You know, I'd hear a song in the morning, and then I'd hear it in the afternoon. And like, oh, they're back. They're singing their song again. They must be very little. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I used to think. So, <laughs> But I, I just, I loved it. I listened to all different kinds of music, and I remember seeing people that... that played the guitar, and I, I knew I really wanted to, to do that. So I just was always interested in it. Now, was the, gu- the guitar your first instrument? No, I had a disappointing uh, foray into violin in second grade, but that didn't really work out very well. So, it seems young for violin to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't even know how to hold it at that age. Well, I still my, don't know how to hold it right My now. parents had this idea about the, that you had to play something that was an orchestra instrument. So, in fact, in order to be able to play the guitar, my father insisted that I needed to save up money myself for it. He wasn't going to buy me one because it wasn't an orchestra instrument. So I had to save at least $150 to buy a decent instrument. So I babysat all summer, and I saved the money, and, and I got my first guitar. So, and, and it, he kind of instilled in me this, this kind of, well, I'll show you. So it was a little incentive, and I so I should thank Dad for making it so difficult for me to get started <laughs> because it, it made me really uh, tenacious about it. Do you remember what that first guitar was? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't think it was a real name brand. Um, something, but it had to be, it wasn't, it wasn't bottom of the line, but it was, definitely wasn't a, a, a super nice guitar. Specific color, or was it just natural? Just the natural, your 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 classic acoustic guitar. And how long did it take before you could 
play it to your satisfaction. Oh, I'm not sure that's happened yet. <laughs> but I, I do think, I, the funny thing is, I think I acquired most of the skill that I even have today, maybe like the first four years of playing. And I think it's because being a teenager, I had a lot more time to devote to it. And I felt like I picked it up faster then. Um, but at least a couple of years to really feel like I was, was starting to get fluid. And most of it was self-taught. I took a, a, a few lessons, but was always liking to get together with other people that played and really kind of studying what they did and, and trying to work on it that way. Now, were you a kid who finished the homework and got out the guitar? Mm-hmm. Or you got out the guitar and then mom and dad said, no, you need to do the homework? Oh, I was pretty good. I guess I was pretty studious in a way. No, I'd get the homework done and then I'd, I'd hang out with my guitar. Yeah. Now, Sam, what was your first jump into music? Um, well, my mother was big, well, with the church, uh, choir, junior choir. I mean, I'd probably, I mean, I got recollections of singing when I was like eight, nine years old. So I was in the junior choir from the start. Mom got us, she's, she's a pianist. Uh, my dad doesn't play anything. He's a music lover. Mm-hmm. He can't carry a tune in a bucket, but he loves music. He's got all kind of records. So it was, and we were always, when we were milking in the barn in the morning, uh, always the radio's playing and there's uh, music in the, in, you know, in the barn. But you were so listening to different music. Than I, was I was listening to country music. Dad, he loves country music. So what I liked was not what was on the radio, but you know, now, now, was yeah. he old time country, old time country. Mm-hmm. And oh, then yeah. at that point in time, what was your interest? Well, when I first got started in, uh, because I got my first guitar, it was a, uh, it was like a, the Buck Owens model, the yes. red, white, yeah. blue with the stars. It was, it was a crappy little guitar, but it's, my, it's still in my parents' house. Is it really? They still have it, yes. And uh, But, you know, the strings were about six inches off the neck, <laughs> so it was really hard to play. Um, but I was more in getting into the classic rock. I mean, when growing, growing up uh, at that time, I was into, you know, later on, 10, 11, 12, I started getting into Grand Funk Railroad. That was my foray's class. class, Well, at that time, it was considered uh, hard rock. And that's who I loved listening to. I was into that genre. And then I got listening to the Allman Brothers and then more into the Southern rock with uh, like Molly Hatchet and all like that. So that's what I wanted to be. Actually, now that you have said that, your lead style is a little bit Southern rock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that all goes back to listening to those guys. I listen to Ozark Mountain Daredevils. Mm -hmm. I was in. Molly Hatchet, uh, one of my favorite driving when we're going up to New York to visit uh, the grandkids. Uh, I, I put on Molly ha- uh, Molly Hatchet's Double Trouble Live, and keeps uh, him awake. Oh my God, it keeps <laughs> keeps him awake. Now I got to watch that we don't start doing ninety five up the right. highway. But you know it, you know. I, so yeah, my my style was kind of developed from that. Now, why is that? Buck Owens style guitar hanging in your parents' house and not in yours. Uh, they haven't given it to me yet. <laughs> ah, I guess we know who paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't earned that. I haven't earned that one yet. But uh, yeah, it's still over there. I know where it's at. Well, the big question that's always been on the tip of my tongue, I've never felt comfortable around someone who grew up in a farm mm-hmm. to ask the question. When you worked on the farm, did you get paid? I did. Hey, how about that? I did get paid. Matter of fact, I was the envy of a lot of kids that I went to school with because I always had a little bit of money with me. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I had chewing gum all the time. So, well, you know, they were always asking me for something. But the expectations were pretty high. He worked hard for that money. Yeah. Oh, I bet you did. The, oh, yeah. uh, especially dairy farms. You, oh. The cow can't just say, oh, you can come back yeah. tomorrow. 
Well, I always tell everybody, you know, I started working when I was about six years old. I started going to the barn and feeding the calves. And then Mm -hmm. as you got a little older, you started getting more chores to do and more chores to do. And so, you know, it's, you know, started at a young age that, uh, you know, learning to get out and work. Now, what was the expectation, Catherine, from your parents as far as a career path for you? Well, they they had some very traditional ideas. I think in their mind, <clears throat> coming from their generation, that a woman was either going to be a secretary or a wife. So that was basically, um, and I didn't, at, at 17, neither one of them was really grabbing me as what I wanted to do at the time. So we, we, we didn't necessarily see eye to eye on where my future was going to lead. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, were you expected to kind of continue in farming and maybe take over the farm? N- Maybe at first, but not really. As I got older, you know, my, my parents were very realistic looking at it. And, uh, you know, I had things I wanted to do. I wanted to go to college. And I'd already decided by my junior year in high school that, you know, I kind of liked accounting. And so they kind of helped foster that. And uh, my mother helped me get my first job as an intern uh, with a local company. And, uh, you know, I was going to college full time. I was working there 32 hours a week and wow. driving with a drink and a sandwich between my hands back and forth between classes and work. So, we need we need to classify that drink when you uh, mentioned driving. It, it, drink. Was soda. it was a, a soda. It was a soda. It was a soda. There's a song in there somewhere. Yeah. Honest officer, it's, it's a, a soda. soda. <laughs> so, but no, they were they were very supportive of it going in in that direction. So you must have enjoyed math. Oh, I love math. Yes, yeah. I'm. I think I'm pretty good with it in my head. He's very, but playing games with him, he's always the scorekeeper because he can oh, do okay. it really quickly in his head. Yes. Yeah. And Catherine, the what was your idea of what you wanted to do? You know, late high school, before you went away to school, if you did, and so forth. Well, for for me, and the, unfortunately, what I was always really drawn to was creative pursuits because aside from music, then I also loved art. And I thought about writing. I like to write short stories and poems and things like that. But there was, it was all creative stuff, nothing that I could actually make any money at. So I, I, had, I had kind of a long path to getting to my, my career. I ended up leaving home and going out to Colorado and uh, then got married and had a baby. And so it was kind of a long, long trek to becoming the data analyst that I am today. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting when... When we talk with other people who we get to know, whether it's on a friend basis or just an acquaintance or coworkers, their career path, how they ended up doing what they're doing. And very few times is it what they thought they would do when they were, say, high school or whatever. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's interesting for me. I I pretty much had my career path because it was pretty cut and dry. If I didn't, I felt like anyway, that if I didn't go this path, then it was going to be, I was going to be a farmer. Mm-hmm. And at that time in my life, I was not prepared to just be a farmer. Uh, I liked aspects of it, but I didn't want to be stuck 365 days a year doing that. Well, when we, when I first moved down here and my sons were, gosh, four and two, something like that. And two or three of their friends were kids of farmers. Mm-hmm. And it was very difficult for them to play sports. Yeah even at six and seven, because they worked part-time, but it was tough for their parents because they couldn't get away from the farm to take the kids to the... And I remembered one of them saying, are you going to be a farmer? Nope. Why not? Now, see, with my father, that's interesting, because a lot of times my father was a coach. 
Oh, is that right? He would take the time to coach, and then he would, you know. He, he worked he, his milking he around that. He, milked, yeah. he worked around. He worked his field stuff, uh, you know, work around that. And so he, he actually coached us when we were growing up. Oh, God so, love him. Huh? Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, he put a lot, uh, you know, love my dad. He, he put a lot into it when we were growing up. So, uh, and my mother's right there, too. I mean, they very, they love sports as well. So we're very, and Catherine will tell you, it's a very sports. It's like a religion family. for the odds. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. Very much so. so. <laughs> but they're both very much into sports and they're both very much into music. So, you know, a lot of things I've gotten now is, you know, they've instilled that. So what is the big sport in the Ott family? Oh, we love football. Okay. <laughs> I kind of figured that, but just. Yeah. Football, baseball, and I, wa I watch basketball. My dad's not as much into it, but my brother and I are more into watching basketball as well, too, but. Football is the main sport. That's uh, that's like the that's a Sunday afternoon gathering. We go over, we get our big bowl of ice cream at halftime, and you know. Well, that's what you've been doing on Saturdays in the past. <laughs> yes, I think this is the longest he's ever gone without oh. watching sports, oh. and he's he's managing, but I think he misses it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if football's doing this or baseball is doing this in surfing because I love watching mm -hmm. surfing because I was a surfer and I owned surf shops, but. World Surf League, which is the broadcast company that, that produces and airs all this, all the contests and everything, they're doing a really good job of staying relevant by broadcasting older competitions. Mm -hmm. yeah. Did they do that for football? And they're, stuff? they're doing the same thing. Are they? I, oh, yeah. I've got all the sports channels, so I watch the uh, NFL Network, Major League Baseball Network. They're all showing old reruns of different uh games uh, last night i was watching part of the uh 2019 game from the ravens and the jets mm -hmm. so you know they're all doing that now trying to get the i guess the gear back up to get people thinking that way and but it's you nice know because sports is a good distraction <laughs> you do that's the, that's, yeah. that's the only thing you know that's why i don't end. watch the old surf contest yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like so Catherine, you mentioned that you were more the creative type mm -hmm. did it and, and you it is difficult, unfortunately, and no one ever tells us this when we're in elementary school or what is called middle school now. I, we used to call it junior high. And then high school is that, oh, you're good at art. You should, be, you should go and study art in college. But they never tell you that it's going to be difficult to make money. Very difficult. I mean, the, the few people that are exceptionally gifted might, might do well. But, but for those of us that have talent, but, you know, they are... It, it's just it's very tough you know i think you have to have to have something a little more practical in mind but i think the creative pursuits are so important too i feel like there's there's time to do both you've got to have both in your life and and even in jobs that don't seem creative sometimes you can you can use that creative thinking to really help you and make you enjoy it more now how did you get into the career path that you're in currently Ooh, interesting. So I just happened to, uh, you know, I mean, what a lot of people do, trying to find a job where you can make the most money you can. Mm -hmm. And I actually started as a payroll clerk for Prudential Home Mortgage back in the early 90s and actually just worked really hard, kept trying different positions, doing things and, and have done very well over the course of 20 years at, at trying different jobs and finding things that I was actually good at, like, you know, building databases and doing things that I never would have dreamed would even interest me or I'd have any abilities at. So now from a musical standpoint, you have brothers and sisters as well. I have a sister. Okay. Is she musically inclined as well? Not at all. No. 
No, it's it's interesting, but both of my parents were, and my daughter is as well, although she hasn't had the passion for it that I do. And the granddaughters, really, they they, they seem to be. They they wrote a little song while they were here visiting. You know, Aww. so they they're. It's it's really nice to see. Well, one of them. I don't think it was both. One of them sang at Dublin Roasters one time for yep. the open mic. Yep. Oh, I think I think actually they both got Did up. they? Yeah. One of them is has a lot more shy than the other yeah. one. There is yeah. one that I think she was born for the stage, and oh she's God. just she, waiting for her chance. <laughs> she takes after Sam. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she can't wait to get up in front of everybody. She yes. just loves to dance. Uh-huh. Now, were your parents pleasantly surprised that you pursued music the way you have, or were they just surprised? I, I don't know if they really understood or fully appreciated the way that I enjoyed music. I think they had been raised and trained so classically and, and kind of structured to think about, you know, you play in an orchestra, you play in the big band, and I don't think they fully understood modern music. Now, did either one of you in your middle school years or high school play something like a clarinet or a tuba? Or I played trombone. Did you? I was in, the, yeah, I was actually in a junior high marching band. I played trombone. Um, and well, of course I took piano before that, but, and I didn't stay with it. I wish I, nowadays I wish I had, mm-hmm. but no, I was in the uh, marching band playing trombone. How about you, Catherine? Nope. After the violin, I thought, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I did teach my, I taught myself some piano and, and I did actually start playing the flute, but I picked that up, I think in high school, kind of casually, not actually playing it in the band. Now, do you still play the flute? I can a little bit. Yeah. I need to practice more. I can't play the trombone. No. I, I, I left to go. I, I, what, I, there was a Halloween um, in Middletown. There was a, I think it was the Halloween uh, parade. And I was in junior high, and we were playing in that. And I was so cold. I remember the 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 mouthpiece almost freezing to my lips, and I don't think I've touched it since then. <laughs> Scarred by the experience. Just, yeah, I stuck my tongue on a, a metal um, headlight housing on an old Packard one mm-hmm. time, looking at it, going, "Oh, that's kind of shiny." Stuck my tongue out, and it did one of those things oh, like in the movie, you know, where you can't yeah. get your tongue off. Well, you're and you're going down through the streets, and you're trying to play, and it's sticking like that. Oh and gosh, it makes it very hard. Yeah. I think that was about it. That was the end of my, after eighth grade, I stopped playing trombone. I guess marching band would be pretty challenging. You know, I I never did that. I played trumpet when I was in elementary school through, I think, fifth grade. But you weren't in a marching band? No, and whenever I watched them, because when uh, my sons played soccer at TJ, mm-hmm. a lot of times the marching band would be rehearsing on the next playing field or right. practice field, which they're... I mean, talk about relentless uh, practice sessions. But I could never figure out how do you play and march and count the number of steps and stuff all at the same time. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I was very good at it. Um, and I don't remember much about how we did it, but you did. You got in step and you just kind of went with the flow. But yeah, I don't think I was... I, was, I don't think I was that good. I actually had a... Uh, my, my oldest cousin actually was... Uh, uh, he played clarinet with, I think it was clarinet, with the University of Tennessee marching band. Oh, wow. And he's talking about they actually practice more than the football team. I've, I've heard that. And, and so he detailed to us sometimes what that was like. And I could not go to that level. 
Well, so I had, had purchased a house years ago in Brunswick across from the high school. And one thing I didn't take in mind when I did this was thinking about how often the marching band would practice and how loud it would be in your house on Saturday morning. Because I'll tell you, the first Saturday morning I slept in that house, my daughter came storming up the stairs and she says, are they going to do this every week? And I said, I <laughs> think so. So. <laughs> so, Catherine, when did you first realize that you wanted to be a Musical, musical performer? In my teens, I think probably not long after I started playing. I, there's, there's just something about it. You can sit by yourself and create music, but I, I think if you really have a passion for it, something draws you to wanting to play with other people and share it in some way. So I think I would say by 16, definitely, I think I was ser searching out open mics and things like that, that I that I knew I wanted to to be around other people that were playing and, and get some feedback on the songs that I was creating. Now, and this was in outside of Philadelphia. No, well, this by this time I was back in Maryland because, let's, let's see, I, could, I spent some time in Philadelphia. I was up in Maine and came back to Maryland. This would have been back in Maryland by high school. Now, were the open mics at coffee houses Restaurants, I'm trying, churches. I'm trying to remember. It had to be like coffee houses because being underage, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm trying to think. I can't remember. And there weren't too many. I don't feel like there were as many opportunities as, as we've had in more recent times. But uh, yeah, they, it was, and, and I was absolutely terrified. I mean, I mean, absolutely terrified, but I would make myself do it. Because I found that you could work through that. I mean, I'd be at the point literally where I felt nauseous. But I thought, if I can just get through one song, then suddenly you would relax and start start feeling better. Now, let's let's come back to the nervous part. And then, Sam, when did you first realize you might want to perform in public? Oh, I got my first. Now, see, I had been singing with the church choir for, for already for about, I got my first guitar when I was 12, my electric guitar. Because I wanted one so bad. Of course, I, at this time, I was already into the grand funk and mm -hmm. what's hard rock and everything else. So I got my guitar, and at that time, I wanted to be a rock god. And so, you know, I'm jamming. Well, you are a rock god. <laughs> well, my parents didn't think to at the time, because after I sat there and played that thing all day, they're like, dear God, we're going to get you some <laughs> lessons, boy. <laughs> but God is still in the... Yeah, <laughs> So I'd already been performing for several years, singing with the choir. So, you know, doing doing that kind of thing. Oh, so you, I, you and your brother were doing performances and, and, well, too. Well, then after I got my guitar, then Dave got his bass mm -hmm. not long after that. And then so him and I were started, you know, we took lessons for a couple of years. And then him and I started playing in our early teens. Uh, we were starting to play together. And then we hooked up with a, a guy as a drummer. And so we had a little three-piece power uh, band. And we played a couple little things around I wasn't, I wasn't into the, at that time, I wasn't into acoustic music at all. I just wanted to, you know, as loud as I could turn it up and get that fuzz blasting as best I could. I like to think yeah. I've had a lot to do with broadening yeah. his musical interests. <laughs> yeah, so, so that was my, you know, and at that time, yeah, I had to drive in my early teens. I was already thinking about how I could, you know, go now, off and become that rock god that I wanted to be. You, you should ask him what they named their trio. No, that's that's what I was just going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> because it was it was Sam, Tony, and Dave, and so they were called STD. Ah. <laughs> Looking back, that was probably why we didn't get many gigs. <laughs> Isn't that what's added to gasoline? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you mean it's not? Yeah. <laughs> It's not the acronym we should have used. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but no, so Dave, Dave and Tony and I were playing, you know, and, and we were, 
we'd all gone to high school together too. So when we were, were playing on a softball league in our early 20s as well, so through our teens and our 20s. So we played together for a few years and then, you know, marriages, kids, all that starts popping up and we, we kind of disbanded at that point. Well, I know Dave still plays bass. How about Tony? He still played the drums? No, no, Tony. I haven't seen Tony around for years playing. I mean, he laid a brick for our house here. Did he? But he yeah, yeah. but he, uh, he's, uh, he did, he's not drumming anymore. Drums are difficult. One, because they make so much noise. Mm-hmm. Two, because they're not really portable. Yeah. As you, as you know, uh, being in, also mm-hmm. in bands with, with a drummer, the drummer usually has to arrive mm-hmm. an hour early. Yeah. And leaves an hour late unless everyone's waiting for them. Mm-hmm. Funny thing about that, though, I would say we used to practice at Tony's house because Tony's for he got married. He had a couple of young kids and his wife was a uh, nurse at uh, FMH. So she worked a night shift. And so we would go over on weekends. And we'd be playing and Tony had to put the kids to bed and then we'd be down there just cranking it up. And so uh, Rhonda would come to us. She's like, you guys got to come over every night because unless you got that floor thumping, I can't get the kids to go to sleep. <laughs> You'd think it was the opposite. I you know. would think so, but they, they love the loud music, so they would go to sleep for that, but they, wow. it was too quiet. They can't sleep. <laughs> so Catherine mentioned that she was deathly nervous when she first started out. How about you? I'd have a little nerves, but I don't think it was nearly as bad as her nerves. Uh, you know, my, my, I would get sometimes, I mean, because vocally singing, I've always had a, always done that. Now, being newer or not as gifted on the guitar as I wanted to be, I'd get a little nervous about making sure I was doing the right thing there. But uh, not so much with the singing, no. I wasn't as nervous. Now, Catherine, do you still get nervous before a performance? It depends. When we're playing regularly, no. And especially if it's places that we've played before, but I still sometimes, if enough time passes... And I haven't haven't done it in a while. I'll get those butterflies again. But I, I, I can work. Saturday. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> and I do, it's funny, but I can I can work I can work through it a lot faster. It's not nearly what it used to be. But depending on the circumstance, if we're in a completely unfamiliar uh, type of job, and 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 I'm not sure what the crowd wants to hear or something, I can still I can still get good and nervous. But I try to channel that energy to just get me to to be a little sharper and do. Does better. it go away quickly? It Once does. you start, it does. It mm-hmm. does, and it's not nearly as crippling as it was. Because when it, I remember when it first started, when I was standing there by myself, that's another reason I love being part of a duo or part of a band. Because I feel you're not the only person standing up there, and I also think that the thing, you got more going on. I, that's what I've always said to him. You know, more more instruments. You're not the only only focus. So I'm not as nervous in those situations. Well, I'm Dave Dishnew from uh, uh, Hagerstown said that. The reason it took him so long to be a solo performer was he was too nervous to be the front guy. Mm-hmm. He liked being off to the side and yes. kind of moving around and stuff like that. He never really thought of himself as a front person, and yet he's become very good at it. It's, it is it is a skill that can be learned, mm-hmm. but there's definitely can be some discomfort in getting you there. Yeah, the funny thing is all the bands I've been in, I've a lot of times been one of the main singers, if not the main singer, the one of the main singers, I've always stood off on the left-hand side of the stage. Hmm. I've never really been, I, I'm not as comfortable being right dead center in it. I've always been off on the left-hand side, usually somewhere near the speaker or behind it. Uh, because some of the clubs we used to play in, they're so small that I was in it behind the speaker. and uh, But I've always just gravitated to being at that spot in the stage. 
But what happens with that? And so in the band, sometimes I've had to coach him and say, face forward, he'll be playing this great lead, and he's turned sideways, and I'm like, please face the audience. <laughs> and what used to happen when we had this this cute little old guy in our country band that used to be a picker, and he'd play, the audience thought he'd play, I mean, they don't know what your hands are doing. Right. And uh, somebody'd say, oh, that was a great lead, and, he, and Sam would be grumbling, like, I played that. But I'm like, well, you know, you've got to get up front a little more. But that's know? the rock guard, God, yeah. yes. not guard, yeah. God. Uh-huh. Um, so many... And who was I watching recently? Somebody big. And it was older and newer concerts. You know how they all turn and, and face the, the drummer? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, don't they realize the people are now behind them? Yeah. But I, well, it seems like so many performers do that. Well, in all the years I've been doing it, it's a lot of times it's how I am cueing my drummer on what I'm doing so he can see. So I'm And cueing the rest of the band. Mm-hmm. So I've just gotten so used to standing sideways to... Let her cue everybody else as to right. what's going on, but, but then she's like, "You got to turn around, face forward." But then I and once I do that, then I start fumbling and forget what I'm doing. <laughs> but what's interesting to me when you watch some of those old concerts, I think some of those guys, they were so focused on the music. Yes, they they weren't thinking about I. I feel like some of today's performers, it is more about about playing to the audience. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes that that the some of those old bands, they were so into the music and they're they're cueing each other with their eyes and just. Assuming that the audience is out there enjoying it without really, the audience engaging. was just there to enjoy the experience that right. they were creating. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a, a three parts to it. The way I look at it, there's the musician, mm-hmm. the performer, and then the entertainer. Absolutely. And if you can be all three, then you have it. Yes. And there's so many. And I see it on our level. When I say our level, we we play mostly local, regional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get paid. Well, we get paid literally hundreds of dollars a year. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but so many of the performers on our level are not necessarily entertainers. Right. Yeah, you're Excellent. right. I, yeah, I don't think most of us are not at the entertainment level. We just, we're a lot of us, we, we enjoy creating the experience, but we're not out there. I'm, I'm not stage diving. I mean, well, just... well, and he and I have the, have the discussion, especially with the, the country band. Some of the this, this stuff isn't necessarily songs that I would absolutely choose to play if I was picking right. my set list. However, if there's audience members that enjoy that music and they, they ask for it, I actually can have a really good time playing those songs knowing that we're entertaining them. Because yeah. we, we do try to go into jobs with the idea that this is what we're here for to entertain the crowd that's here. So we do try to do our best. But we're not making the experience about us. Correct. It's about, you know, and then I think when you're looking at it from being the entertainer, that's making the experience about that. Well, it it depends on how the entertainer or the person who's supposedly entertaining, how they do it. Because you're absolutely right. Some do make it all about them. Those are the ones who react to noise with, hey, you know, I'm singing here. (laughs) Oh, are you really? Yeah. <laughs> we we were playing. Uh, was it was it Aisha? Was it called Aisha at that time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And right in front of us, this young, this little girl, she's dancing around in front. Well, she got a hold of the one of those big heaters, crash right in front of us. We just kept right on going. Yeah. Never. But oh my God, the loud sound that that made. I mean. Oh, I would imagine that made tremendous <laughs> racket. We didn't miss a beat. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to. Keep going. Keep yeah, going. But, but that's why I see within a lot of these entertainers, especially some of your larger ones, they, they 
the experience is about them and that's what they're trying to make it where you know a lot of us are getting up there we're doing we're creating an environment and, correct and you know people can enjoy and listen to but we're not making it's not the show is not about us it's about the music that we're creating well and i still feel like the music should be able to stand alone that mm-hmm. that a lot of uh some of the big shows today are so visual that you know you've got a lot of dancers you've got a lot of little things going on visually but i still believe that the music should stand alone that you shouldn't it's nice if you have all this other stuff that make it a more absorbing overall experience but i think that the the music itself needs to be enough i guess that means i've got to cancel the dance part we're going to do for the next year yeah. <laughs> Well, if it involves the tutu, yes. I mean, you looked good in the wig, but I'm not sure about the little short frilly skirt. That might not work. Don't take it that far, right? So you have both performed. You've performed solo with other people before you got together. Mm -hmm. What was the worst gig, Catherine, you ever played? Oh, this is an easy one. And this is actually one with, with, with our band because we were playing a carnival up in Waynesboro and we had a flat tire on the trailer on the way up. And we got up there. We, we had like 15 minutes to set up. We, we were racing around and we're in the middle of the first set and there was this terrible, terrible odor on the stage. And I, just looking around at everybody wondering what it was. In break time, we realized they had placed the stage right in front of the dumpsters and the porta-potties. Ah, and the wind it, happened to be blowing that way. Yeah, it was it was just such a night fraught with disasters that that it was. I, I said to him afterwards, I said, "This is hands down my least favorite job." We, we were playing with a, uh, a a substitute drummer, Jimmy McKnight, that uh, played with the uh, Country Caravan and a lot of those groups around there. And uh, Jimmy was sitting in with us, and uh, he's just, we're all just looking at. It, he's like. He's got his nose going, like, what is that smell? And we're it all looking at each awful. other, going, "Gosh, what happened up here?" And oh, it was that was a terrible. Who, who in their planning mind thinks that this is a yeah. good idea to put the stage in front of? And this was after head. traveling up there, and I'm driving the trailer and just talking, and we're yakking away, and they're behind me, flashing lights, trying to get my attention to realize that the tire actually had was not just flat; it had gone completely it off. Oh, it, oh, it ripped off off the off the rim. Oh gosh! So we had the we finally got, and I finally when I saw it, I looked back and said, "Oh, well, it's a white rim back there." And then I looked again, and I was like, "Where's the tire? <laughs> There's no tire." So then we pulled off, and then Jimmy's helping me. Of course, you know, it's the first time he's ever played with us, so we got to fix a flat tire. It's a hundred degrees. Mm. Then we get that fixed. We get to the uh, to the site, and then we have this on stage afterwards. And oh my God, that was horrible. That was terrible. That was horrible. So was that your worst performance? Oh, I don't know. I've had a lot of bad ones over the years. I can't. We we have done such a variety of, of of things. Some really interesting. I mean, we've we we've opened for a dog parade once, and ah, uh, and belly then dancers, and belly dancers, parade. and a dog parade. That was that was interesting. <laughs> it, it has just been. A, 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 oh, and we went we, to... We also, we went to play at a park, and mm-hmm. I, I was up in St. Was it St. Mary's County? I'm trying to remember. They uh, failed to mention that there would not be any electricity. No electric. Oh, gosh. And so we walked in, and we got all our equipment ready to go, and there and we're like, okay, where do we plug in? They said, oh, we thought you were an acoustic act. Well, like, yes. Well, yeah, but... we are, but, you know, we, we want to be heard. Well, they didn't have anything electric there, so we were truly an acoustic it was act. truly acoustic. Now, was that just the two of you? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah, I've had, a, there's been a lot of experiences I had over the years with the different bands, you know, playing, but I, can, I, I don't think I can tag one as being any worse than any others. Well, I would imagine that T5 didn't produce a lot of volume. 
Well, actually, I was lucky that day. I didn't take the T5. I actually had a regular acoustic. I had matter of fact, we always I had have a Taylor. third guitar. Yeah, yeah. I had that Taylor two, there. Yes. So I was good. At least I could be heard somewhat. But oh, if I'd only had that T5, <laughs> it would well, have been awful. We've learned to always bring an extra guitar, bring extra chords, all that. And yeah. it's all from bad it, it, things will happen. If something yeah. can go wrong, it will do it. And it's usually the little things. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's the the battery dies, and oh gosh, I don't have any batteries. Exactly. And, and you try over the course of time to, to think of all these things. And we, we do a pretty good job of, of working as a team and trying to troubleshoot because we've definitely had some issues to, to deal with. And, and uh, we, do, we, we work together pretty yeah. well. The first year we did the Festival of the Arts. Mm-hmm. And I was running the music at uh, Shabro Everready Square. And I wasn't supposed to be running the show at Festival of the Arts. I was supposed to be one of the performers. Oh. And I think I was first, and I get started to dismantle the equipment, and, and Colin McGuire comes up. He goes, what are you doing? The next guy's ready to perform. I said, well, no, I'm taking my gear down. He says, well, no, you're running the show. I said, well, no one told, no one told me that. that. Yes. So I had to keep running back and forth, and gosh, about 4 o'clock, I get a text. It's from David Morreale. He goes, I'm sitting up here on between 4th and 5th Street, ready to do my first Saturday gig, and I realized I forgot my microphone. Do you have a spare one? <laughs> and so that type of stuff does happen. Or I would get a, a phone call or a text from somebody saying, Todd, I, I'm at the gig you hired me for, but I forgot my microphone stand. Mm. Can you bring one? Now, we were, where was, we were playing a... Um I was at Montgomery Country Club one time. We forgot our, our, our music stand. And because uh, I can't remember lyrics, I, you know, things just don't stay in there sometimes. So we're there and we ended up using like a chair mm-hmm. to, you know, pull it up. And, that was awkward. Yeah, that was awkward. But you do the best you can. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. There's no other alternative than figuring out a way to or, make it work. Or they go in and tell you that, you know, you're playing for like a Christmas party. And so we go in with one set of speakers and, and not realizing that all oh, the Christmas parties like 200 people in this very crowded room that's extremely loud. We're as loud as we can get, and they can't hear us 20 feet away. Yeah, it's the the challenges of. I have come to appreciate that that the sound is a whole science on its own, mm-hmm. and it, I know I don't know nearly enough to really be effective with it. You know, <laughs> well. You know, we've talked about this before, sound and stuff like that. For the average performer, this is what has surprised me, is having someone playing like an acoustic guitar with a pickup in it sounding like cut glass. Yeah. And going up and say, hey, do you mind if I take a look at your guitar for a second? And like, that's a nice guitar. Oh, I see the slides on the, the EQ slides. How do you set those? Set them? Yeah. I've never touched them before. You know, I just take the guitar out of the case. <laughs> and it's it's amazing. So it's it's nice when I run into folks like yourself who have, whether you learned by trial and error, which most of us did, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be able to set it at least so that we have a starting point that sounds good and then fine-tune it. Well, right. to even have an understanding of what the knobs do in the first place. Good you point. Know, so if you at least check to get tested the guitar so you know that if I turn it this way, then I'm all the way up and this way is all the way down. 
you know, or, and a lot of times for us, we carry spare batteries yeah. because you get there and you're looking down and it's like, Oh, my guitar battery is dead. I've used it for three performances and it's not going to go for another one. So that, I, that's what I run into a lot when I'm doing, you know, it seems like it's the little things like that, that people think, Oh, I'm just going to go in and perform, but you know, you need to be prepared to perform as well. Well, equipment. That brings up equipment. From an acoustic standpoint, I know you both tend to play Taylors. Mm -hmm. How did you gravitate to Taylors? Her fault. Well, I had, (laughs) had, had, someone had, had turned me in that direction, and I have that, that Taylor Jumbo that I just love. And it's like it spoiled me, and I suddenly felt that I couldn't, didn't know what their guitar just felt that it was the brand that really feels good to me. And then, he he got he got the infected with the same, uh, <laughs> you know. But then I I would go to Guitar Center and uh, literally, you know, we'd go in there and s- I'd sit down for an hour or so. And at one time I was working in Lenticum and there's a Guitar Center not too far from there. I would go at lunchtime and sit in the room and just play different guitars. And I've played Martins, Breed Loves, and you know I uh, played a Cordoba, which I just absolutely hated after playing it. For some reason, it just didn't feel right. And I'd always end up gravitating back to the Taylor. And just finding that I liked the way I would just like the way it felt, and uh, and that's why you know then if I wanted to buy the guitar, they'd come and say, "Oh, we'll get you one in the box upstairs." I'm like, "No, no, no! I I didn't, I didn't play that guitar. I played this one. I like this one." So I'd be like, "No, don't give me that. I want this guitar because that's the one I just played." I can't. I couldn't order. I'd have a hard time ordering online because I got to feel it. If I feel, if I play it, I feel it, and it feels right to me. Then that's what I like. Well, you're talking to someone who does buy online, <laughs> I and I, I can t- attest to the fact that I have received, paid for, received guitars that I love the look of, mm-hmm. but they don't do anything for me sound-wise, or they sound great, but I just don't like the way they look, and they've found new owners. Yeah, right. So the, I've only, I think, purchased one or two guitars the way you do, Yeah, where, you know, I one was the Taylor Dreadnought that I played for many, many years. I just kept going back to, to making music. And it would be on the wall. I'd say, do you mind if I try that one? And i play it. And it didn't do anything for me. I think it was there two and a half years. And I pulled it down one time. And, and um, I've forgotten who came in the room. Might have been Rick. And I'm playing. And he goes, what was the last price I gave you for this one? I said, oh, Rick, I don't, I don't remember. And he, he says, how about, and he gave me this number, and I'm, you know, inside I'm going, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Straight face, well, does that include a case? Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess so, you know. And that became my main guitar yeah. for about eight mm-hmm. years. So. Well, and then, see, that's the thing. When I used to sit down like that, or still do, I'll go back several times. That's, a lot of times I'm not going to buy it on the first purchase. i got to go back. And then I'll try some other ones, and I'll, and it's like I end up gravitating back to that guitar, and it's like, yeah, no, I'm not ready to do it yet. And I leave and come back again, and we're in there for getting strings or something, and it's like, let me try it again. I'll play it, and then finally it's like, okay, I could do this. So did you ever have one that you went back like three or four times, and finally you say, you know, I'm going to go back and buy the guitar, and you get there, and it's not there. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then it's like, okay, I'll gravitate to another guitar and see, and you know, and I'll go back and forth. It's like, okay, maybe I want a classical style guitar and I'll play it around and I'll end up, you know, trying something else. And I have yet to buy a classical guitar. I'd love to do it just because I'd like to hear, especially in recording some of the things, you know, what 
playing the nylon strings just so you don't get all that sliding. Well, different just texture. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Just, just to try. That's why we got so many different guitars. It's because we just like to try different things out and see how they play. The best thing I did for her Takamani was I broke it. And we got it refixed, and that thing plays better than it ever has. Really? It, yeah. It, well, it was fun, and, and it happened right here in this room, and he actually was, was he was getting ready to set it on this couch, and he instead dropped it on the floor, and it literally the neck snapped off. Give, give a plug for uh, for uh, Marty. Um, Fairbill Fair Guitars. Fairbill Guitars. So we, we took it to him, and it came back to me a much better guitar than it was before yeah. it was broken, so I forgave him at that point. <laughs> but I love those guys down there. Oh, they, they did Fantastic. Uh, amazing work. They've yep. done. They fixed a couple of us for a couple of them for us. Now. My favorite guitar. I've unfortunately dropped a couple of times, and he's been able to to get it back. To well, me. I was going to ask you about that because I know it's your favorite guitar. And mm-hmm. didn't something happen to it one time that the fellow sitting on the couch next to you sort of caused? Yes. They, well, he. he he never, he never damages his own guitars, but mine have, have, have been victimized a couple of times. But I fortunately, the repairs have always turned out well. It has amazed me to see a repaired guitar. Frank Davis mm-hmm. had that beautiful Martin, or he's, he's got more than one Martin, I think, but he was playing at the, I think it was the Frederick Coffee Company, and took a break, and he, I'm chatting with him, and he says, You've seen this guitar before, right? I said, yeah. He says, would you believe, and this is on like a Friday or a Saturday night, would you believe that on Sunday this past week, this headstock was completely off the guitar? Really? It was a windy day, blew the speaker over, <gasps> oh, my. landed on the, he had the guitar in a guitar stand, and he took it to Marty, and I could hardly even see the seam. Wow. Mm. Yeah, they a, do amazing work there. Very good. They yeah. are very good at it. I, I, I'm hoping to get him on the podcast at some point in time because his perspective of guitars is so totally different than ours. Yes. yes. Although he's a phenomenal player. Mm-hmm. But it's just, you know, to, to them, it's a piece of wood. Mm-hmm. It just happens to make music. But yeah, you take the two pieces of wood, you do this and you sand it and you put slack on it or whatever. And there you go. Absolutely. It's an interesting place to have to drive back to, you know. Especially if you have a low-slung car. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, if you're taking that car out there, I don't know how you make it back. My Audi TT and this one, I have to be very careful. Mm-hmm. I have to have the tires on the edge and on the crown most of the time. <laughs> Otherwise, mm-hmm. I bought them out. So, yeah. so guitar strings. Mm-hmm. Do you play the elixirs? Elixirs. Mm-hmm. Always same gauge and everything between now, the two of you. See, that's the thing. We we that T five you were talking about. Now she likes a little heavier string. For you strumming. say that, but this is not true. Well, I like I, mean, I like lights. Okay, he keeps telling me I like medium strings, but it's not true. I think she she bet well she doesn't break them as much. You've never seen a woman strumming a guitar that breaks as many strings as she does. I bend them all over the place. I don't break a string. She's she gets on there strums at one time. No, it happens broken. more with the band, I, th- I think, because I'm, I'm really, uh, I, I mean, I guess I'm really aggressively playing rhythm or something. And and a lot, to, and you'd think it would be the high E string, but I have, and this is not intended as a joke, I have broken more G strings on th- th- than I can count. It's the one that breaks the most. Yeah. I, I don't know why, you know. I think it's because it is a thinner string, but it's tuned fairly high. Yes. And even though it's wrapped Mm-hmm. That is the one that tends to break more often than the E or the B. Right, Isn't that amazing. But I I like a little lighter gauge string for for my playing. 
Um, for play for play and lead, yeah. but I find when you're playing long long gigs, several hours at a time, I do like a lighter gauge. It's just easier on your hands. You know, on the strings breaking, that could be the nut. There might really? be a little bit of a sharp spot there where it kind of bends, and over time, it's it, you know how you take a piece of wire sometimes you bend it and you bend it and eventually breaks. Mm -hmm. It could be as simple as that. that I'm not sure because I think each one of our guitars has a problem with the nut then. Because <laughs> the one sitting next to her, or the yeah, yeah. <laughs> that could be taken several ways. Yes. <laughs> she may have a problem with that nut sitting next to her after I leave. You know. <laughs> Oh gosh! Now, do you play phosphor brown bronze, or do you play the eighty uh, twenties? No, I, I think those are the bronze. I think we, but I mm -hmm. think we have tried both, and I, I don't think I object no, those, to those. Those are all the bronze ones. Yeah, they they have that nice bright, mm -hmm. bright sound. Yep. Now picks, uh, Catherine, are you a thin pick, medium pick, thick I'm, pick? I'm a pretty thin pick when it comes to strumming because I do. I actually like to have a little give in it. I feel like you can can do a little. Be a little, maybe a little more aggressive and get some different sounds with a thinner pick. He likes a heavier pick for what he's playing. Most, yeah. If it, it once again, it depends on the guitar I'm playing and it depends on what style I'm playing. Um, if we're doing more, if we're more with the country band and we're doing, I like, I like a little bit thinner pick so that I can do a little bit more, um, the more like chicken picking, you know, mm -hmm. get that string in between that and the picking kind of. I, I like, and it gives, I can bear down and get a little better difference kind of sound out of it. I like that for the country playing. When we're doing the acoustic, I definitely want heavier picks because, uh, you know, I, we put the heavier strings on the acoustics most of the time, and I like to have the heavier picks so I can get a little, when I'm doing the single notes, I can get a little uh, more sound out of it. I think I noticed Dunlop. Yes. yes. That's, that's, the main one. that's a favorite. And, and I like the lighter gray ones, and the darker gray ones are usually yeah. the ones he likes. Yeah. Actually, my uh, my one nephew gave us for one year for Christmas a set. We can make our own picks, and I like it except for after using the pick after so it starts developing edges on it, and 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 then. So it's, it's a, a neat problem. idea. They look neat, but but you end up finding a pick that you like, and that's the one you stick Th with. That is true. Uh, Gillian Welch, mm -hmm. phenomenal Americana uh, singer songwriter. She and her I don't know if they're married or not, but. The, and it, but they go by her name. And evidently, she has a, gosh, I don't remember the brand, a pick that she says if she ever lost that pick, she'd die. Really? <laughs> she is that attached to that pick. Yeah. And you do hear that occasionally. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, because a lot, I mean, you're playing, you know, your hands get sweaty. There are certain textures, like the Dunlops have a nice uh, rougher texture. Yeah, there is, that there's a little you can hang on grip. to a little mm -hmm. bit. And I find some of the others, now we played with the bass players, go love those smooth picks. Well, I can't have hold them. Halfway through a performance, they're going sideways. They're flipping mm -hmm. all over. I just can't get a good grip on them. So I like the Dunlops have got a little texture to it, and they kind of get embedded in your finger, and, and it's easier to play. Yeah. Now, how about capos? Uh, oh, the, the Kaiser, the... Definitely. The trigger. Yes, yeah. the mm -hmm. trigger ones. They're quick. They're easy. You can keep it on the end of your guitar. You can stick it on your mic stand. They're very handy. You both use them? Yep. Yes. Yep. Uh, color. Mostly the black ones for I me. Have, I, somehow I got a pink one. I love that thing. I'm not sure where it is right now, but I, I would use that one all the time if I could find it. Let's see. what. Um, how about chords, guitar chords? Do you have a preference? 
don't really, not really. I, I, I'm trying more and more to uh, go wireless. Um, but but that's fraught with difficulties. Yeah, too. she's she's not well. You know, speaking of that, about the the X five. Yep. We tried to do down uh, when we were doing a little recording downstairs that we put up on YouTube. We tried running both the uh, mic um, and the uh, wireless and the guitar wireless, and there was such interference. Was there? Yeah. yeah, that I couldn't use the mic and the guitar, so we either had to use mics or we used the guitar wireless. I like I like being as wireless as best I can because you know I, I like to be able to move around a little bit more. The concept is great, but I feel like we that we tend to have a lot of technical difficulties, yeah. which can get stressful at gigs. But we don't really have, I, I don't really found any, um, you know, preference for uh, guitar, chords, guitar chords. Which wanted to work. Yeah. Well, you know, and you were, you were mentioning earlier that when you travel, you try to make sure you have one of everything extra. Yes. Absolutely. Even if we're going wireless, we've got Chords, three or four, three yeah. or four chords there mm-hmm. because how many times have you gotten there and thinking that the wireless is going to work and everything and all of a sudden for whatever reason we're in a venue and the wireless won't work so we're quickly and you know as as you you know from playing sometimes you've only got minutes to change around mm-hmm. your set so we're like okay plug the cords in now between the two of you who's the one who packs everything in? we have our we each have our areas of expertise he has his, his things that he does, and I have my things, and we never actually sat down and decided you do this and I do that. We kind of naturally gravitated towards certain things, and that's the way it works. Yeah, I, so yeah. it's like when putting the cords in a bag. I have a bag of cords. I make sure all the stuff's in there. I make sure the power cords are in there. Uh, I make sure the the uh, the sound equipment, mostly sound equipment, I handle. I'm packing up the guitars and all, and the and the the iPad and all the yeah. that the miscellaneous stuff. So it's kind of we del- developed a pattern and we just both kind of done that and that's our routine for getting ready for a gig. And then we stand out in the in the van and we look in the back of the van and we go, okay, check, check, yeah. you know, and start. Mm-hmm. I used to actually have a checklist because I can be a little over the top organized but we, we do have it now so we can just stand there and mentally review okay do we have everything it's not a bad idea though mm-hmm. and i'll tell you why kevin del molino and i actually it was my gig and it was for a building industry association up at where the the old linfield event yeah. complex which is now the frederick christian fellowship church and we were playing in the big room on the southern side of the building but anyway i had to dress in a tuxedo because i was part of the festivities but I also had to perform. So I went up in jeans, you know, shirt stuff to set up the equipment and had to play first and then jump into the tuxedo. It had the tuxedo in the men's room. And I was thinking, okay, I got to make sure I get the tuxedo or whatever. And I hadn't owned the Bose system very long. Mm-hmm. Packed everything in the car. I drive up. It's only about a 17-minute drive from my house. I get there. I take stuff out. I bring it all in because I couldn't get close. You had to go through the front and all the way down. I'm setting it up, and I, I reach down to put the towers in. I'm going, where are the towers? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> They're on the living room floor. Oh, my gosh. And I said, and Kevin had, had brought his own. I said, Kevin, play. Mm-hmm. I don't speed. I'm not a speed demon mm-hmm. in the car. I was when I was younger, but I think I broke a record to get down from Linfield Event Complex to my house in Clover Hill and back. Right. Wow. Mm. So having that checklist is not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think if we have, have we 
gone anywhere we've, we've don't gotten. jinx us by asking that yeah. question <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just trying to think i mean we i, I know think, we have gotten small oh, things no no i oh, have okay. i have a good oh, one yeah. where, oh, where we we actually we were it was hosting an, an open mic at dublin roasters and i think we ended up without any guitars in the car so oh, like yeah. we, i brought the sound <laughs> equipment and and suddenly we were talking we got there and we look in the back, it's like, oh, wait a minute. So he took the other stuff, and I said, I'm driving home. I'll be back with guitars, you know. <laughs> Just a little thing. Yeah. <laughs> but thank goodness it was an open mic when yes. there are other people who yes. have the guitars. You can put them up. Right. You don't have to be on first. That so would that be was... terrible. Our own gig, if we had an actual gig and we didn't bring any guitars with us. I know people that's happened to. But <laughs> well, Willie Barry, when he first started out, when his dad drove him everywhere, mm-hmm. and he was performing at Beans. And I don't know if he and I were splitting the bill or it was his performance and I happened to go and I got there early. And so I, I, I said, do you want me to give you a hand, bring the stuff in? Sure. You know, it's he and his dad. We're bringing the stuff in. We set up all the, the, the uh, you know, the PA and everything. And Mike's and his dad looks at him. He goes, where's your guitar, Willie? Well, it's in the car. <laughs> no, it's not. Willie, you have one responsibility. <laughs> the guitar, where is it? And fortunately, they live in Jefferson right. at that time, and they could get it. But it's uh, it does happen. It's oh, just yeah. you know you get yeah. things going on, and yeah, it's yeah, it's a that that that's more panic than I want to go through because especially and you know setting up sound when you're the one setting the sound up beforehand, I can get a bit cranky sometimes when, uh, Oh, you know, I can't imagine that. <laughs> you know, especially when, when I'm trying to set it up and all of a sudden you turn anything and you're listening and nothing happens. And then you're like, okay, what, what's wrong? What did I do wrong? And you're trying to go Troubleshooting. Back. Yeah, yeah. And then everybody's trying to ask you a hundred questions about the set list, about this, about that. And I'm like, and you're trying to still be pleasant to people that are there, yeah. but meanwhile you're freaking out. Yeah, I'm freaking know? out because I can't get any sound, and it's like I know I hooked this up the same way I did. I've always done before. What's going on here? And now, how do you once you've calmed down? Yeah, <laughs> and I say that only because I've been through that three or four times, or more than that. How do you? What do you start with first? Looking, I start checking chords, and and making sure you know that I've I've got all the chords plugged in. Uh, a lot of times what I usually have found it's because somewhere along the line, I didn't realize somebody's the phantom power powers got clicked off and we have phantom power on our mm-hmm. mic. And if it's not, you know, I never take it off in my mind. I don't, but apparently some point I hit it, doesn't go on. That's a, that's probably number two that I start looking at. Uh, usually within that time, I think that's usually covers what may have happened or some mute has gotten hit and I didn't catch it or something like that. But, yeah, the the most embarrassing one for me was at the Frederick Coffee Company, and it was for, I think it was for an open mic. Mm-hmm. Set everything up. I looked at the first person. I said, "Give me two minutes and come on up." So they started walking up, and nothing. Nothing. What's going on? Signal chain. Is it plugged into the wall? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is the head plugged into the whatever? You know what mm-hmm. it was? Yeah. I forgot to turn it on. Oh! <laughs> I can't say anything. I have been there. Yes. Well, I, with the band is usually a lot of times where I have the issue. Because there's uh, more going on there's and more all those inputs. And... But one time we're, play, we're getting ready to play and, you know, I'm, I'm going nuts. I got no sound and I realized 
I never ran the speaker cords front back from the speaker into the board. Well, and I've done like, that too. <laughs> and I'm sitting there looking, everything's right. Why is it? And then I realized, oh, out? wait a minute. There's supposed to be something in these two slots too. Well, the Bose tower, you know, you have to um, hook up the, the, the woofer, basically, mm-hmm. the, the low end. And I played, it was, I think, the first or second year we were doing the first Saturday music at Frederick Coffee Company, and I was performing over at the ice cream shop when we used to set up over there. And I played the whole hour and a half or whatever it was, and I kept thinking, I remember it sounded better. <laughs> and when I got to take everything down, I had forgotten to plug in that, oh, that speaker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it sounded fine to everybody else, but you just lost you that know low end. You right. something. Yeah. 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 So... You play as a duo, mm-hmm. and you play, it's just the one band now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Didn't you play in two bands at one point in time? Or Sometimes. We, we have another project that we... Uh, that hasn't we, really that launched. That hasn't really got launched yet, but we're, we're working on that. And that's, we're trying to do more of a, uh, a the back, more of a classic rock kind of th- uh, situation with that band. Just to branch out and have something different. So we were, we were looking at playing with that with our, my brother and Casey Cleveland. Oh yeah, uh, and Casey has sat in with her. Matter of fact, he's played quite a bit with their with their other band, Brushfire. He's uh, played with us quite a bit on that because their current drummers had a few uh, There's issues back surgery, back surgery, hand, hand surgery, and so, different uh, things. Yeah, what lat was it? Two years ago, we had five different drummers over the summer. It's like we, every gig we had to have a different uh, drummer because he was having uh, back surgery. Back surgery that was was complicated. Now, is that difficult bringing in a new drummer? It can be. We were very fortunate that the substitutes we got were all very talented individuals because we had uh, limit, limited practice, limited to no practice time. Yeah. So I, I think we lucked out because that can be really but it, tough. But it's a, and you talk about me turning sideways. Well, for those, I almost played sideways the whole time because I'm trying to help cue the drummer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's difficult, but when you're working with some of the talented guys we were working with that have multiple bands and different styles that they played with, they, they pick things up fairly well. Yeah. So that helps. That was a big help. Now, which do you prefer to do, the duo or the band? I love them both. It, they're so different. They're so different. I, I mean, because with, with the band, I think it's, it's fun that we have, we have a lot of people that come out to dance and that whole energy thing is, is a lot of fun. Um, and I think also sometimes with the more pieces and you're, you're trying to find your place to blend in with it, it's, uh, that's, that's a fun, fun challenge. But when we're playing, from my perspective, when we're playing together, we have can there's less that can go wrong and we know we're we're so in tune with each other at this point after all these years that it it usually uh, yeah, clicks the chemistry is real good there yeah. so mm-hmm. i mean i really enjoyed doing the and we've done so many uh, uh duo gigs uh, at different venues and and that i have a lot of fun with it um like we played last year i had a great time we played at the loco music festival in uh in um, Loudoun county Loudoun virginia. county virginia and we had a great time. Uh, you know, we're up on it, had a nice stage, and we're getting to play. I especially enjoy it because we didn't have to set sound up, so I didn't have to worry about anything except for walking up and playing, and we had a blast doing that. Um, but the band's got its own advantages of things I like doing, and plus I've been doing that longer. Uh, the current the current Brushfire band, I started that with my, my friend Dave. Uh, we've been playing for 22 years together. Have you really? Yeah. So, and before that, I was in a band called Classic Country, and I was with that band for about 15 years. So, um, 
I didn't think you were that old, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere along the line, it crept up on me. <laughs> now, when you two first met, did you know ahead of time that you were both musicians? Or did that just come up in the, the dating? No, here, here's, here's the funny thing, because we actually met on Match.com. I didn't and, know that. And, and, mm-hmm. and I... Uh, I sent him a message because me his up. because his picture he was playing this this classic Gibson guitar and here's here's my logic because I thought well you know even if we don't hit it off romantically we'll have something to talk about mm-hmm. you know so it was actually it was the picture of him with his guitar that led me to send him a message yeah. and then uh, we met at a hole of hands and mm-hmm. talked for five and a half hours that night did you yes. really oh yeah we yes, were, we did we were we closed the place down we we went in and sat in the bar and we closed the place down and we talked for five and a half hours i don't think we ordered but one drink the entire night mm-hmm. but um and and it, it's funny the rest was history but at the time i think the, the whole internet dating was still kind of new i think we were a little it, a little hesitant to tell other people how we'd met but hey it, it worked for yeah. us you know that's all that matters yeah now, do you still have the Gibson guitar? Oh, absolutely. He does. That's, okay. That is my, my pride and joy. I bought that uh, is a ni- 1978 uh, Les Paul Custom that I wanted the first. My parents got me an electric guitar when I was 12, but I bought this guitar when I was 16. I bought it for $800. It's and, beautiful. And it's my and pride. Heavy as lead. It's my they pride are. and joy. They're known for that. Yes. yes. Yeah. But, uh, yep, I, I've got that. It's my pride and joy. I love that guitar. Actually, did Eric Clapton play Les Paul when he sang that song? Does, isn't his song Pride and Joy? No, oh, no that's Stevie, uh, Ray. Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. Oh, okay, Stevie I Ray I think he was okay. a Strat guy. Okay. Yeah, Stevie yeah. Ray was a Strat guy. But, uh, the yeah. Strats go out of tune, though. But those, the do they really? They do. I, I think they do. I don't know. I'm not an electric mm-hmm. player. so Not as bad as Ibanez. Ibanez, I've always had trouble keeping in tune. Maybe it's the tuners they use. <laughs> no, it could be. Yeah, they, they may not spend money in that department and thinking they don't need to. They're yeah. beautiful. They look great, but boy, they have a hard time mm-hmm. staying in tune. Uh, Casey had uh, one of his guitars here one time. I was looking over and I played it for a while. And uh, it was a beautiful a guitar. Beautiful I just at. love the looks of it. But my God, every time I played it, you played two notes and you had to retune the guitar. It was just it was awful for that. But beautiful looking guitar. So moving forward, I mean, we're still, well, we're in what, phase two or three of reopening here in maryland are we have we got to two yet i think we're in two i think we're in two yeah Yeah. the unfortunately texas florida california and is it new jersey are all having resurges yeah Mm -hmm. the um but if things stay kind of the way they are and quiet down more and we're able to get out and get back to what we would hope would be somewhat normal what's Mm -hmm. the future hold for safe harbor well, we sure hope we, we, we love performing. We, we do. And so we, we look forward to getting back out and, and sharing some music. I mean, in the, in the interim, we've actually done some songwriting and, and we'll, we will always find ways to enjoy music because, because we love it. We can sit here in our living room and play and have a great time, but we, we do look forward to continuing to do some performing definitely and hope that, that this change won't drastically affect live music. Yeah. Well, the the um, Safe Harbor, which we played, and Oh, What a Day, which is going to be the outgoing song, mm-hmm. were both, well, I pulled them off the, your YouTube channel, yeah. and you filmed yourself or taped yourself performing down in your music room. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. And we're going to continue with that. We we only got four out there, but we actually we have a, a quite a few songs. Our intent is to yeah, to er, go forward with that. We kind of got distracted with some other things, yeah. but our, our be, intent is to get all of our original songs out on the YouTube. Um, so that that's what we're look we're looking at getting doing something with all that. Um, it's funny that you mentioned Oh What a Day. That was a Catherine and I were going out to do a songwriting weekend when we took us with us this big crate of all these unfinished songs. And we're like, we're gonna sit down, we're gonna go through these, we're gonna finish these songs. Well, we didn't pull one thing out of that crate. We sat down there on the, we went to the beach in Chincoteague. Uh, National Park. We went out to the beach and we sat and wrote in a brand new song. It was song. a brand new song, and it was completely collaborative because that was that was when we wrote t- totally together. But we wrote it on the beach, which sounds way more awesome than it is when you haul your guitars and all that <laughs> stuff out there, and the sand is blowing yeah. around. I mean, it, it, yeah, everybody thinks it's romantic. No, I was, yeah. I, was <laughs> I was dragging this uh, big old cart through three C. I'm sweating <laughs> and complaining and complaining the whole time, and it's like you know. And then we sit down. She goes, "Well, I got." to dry off first before I can put my guitar up. <laughs> so, but we did. We wrote down, then we, we ended up right now on the beach, beach at Chincoteague. And yep. Well, that brings up a question. How did you come up with the name of Safe Harbor? Well. We tossed around a few ideas yeah. and I think we liked the sound of it and just the whole thought of, and, and for me, I think music is kind of a, a safe place, like a safe haven mm-hmm. kind of. So I think it was kind of, Kind of a play on that a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I really, it's one of those things I don't really remember how we, we just kind of tossed it around. Do you remember any of the names that you discarded? Well, I know we weren't going back to his STD project, <laughs> that's for sure. So. <laughs> yeah, I may not tell that story, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think we'll drop that one off. <laughs> no, I can't. I, I, I don't know if we had what other kind of names we even thought. I don't, I I don't mean, think we, we had any main contenders. Yeah. We were just kind of. Well, we didn't. We really want to just go Sam and Catherine or Catherine and Sam. I mean, just that just sound too run of the mill. And so just kind of it just kind of fell out and said, yeah, Safe Harbor. Well, that sounds pretty cool. And then we were, you know, when we were doing our um, covers for our music, we were like, OK, where can we go? Uh, you know, we have one out. In, uh, was it Sandy? Uh, Sandy, uh, is that Sandy Hook State Park? Yeah, so Sandy Hook we State were going Bay. to State Park. We were thinking that we need something. We're looking for lighthouses and, and stuff we yeah. could get yeah. behind us. So, thing. you know, we kind of like the beach theme type thing. So it kind of fit with that. Now, when you tape your songs, your original songs down, down in your music room, what are you using for equipment? What do you videotape with? What are you miking? Are you miking just with, is it an iPhone? Is it's, it an iPad? It's, it's just an LG phone. Those those videos were all done. And hopefully, and I'm sure the sound could be better. It did, yeah. did a reasonable job, I, I thought of. We also recorded them. I mean, we, we did the video through that, and that's what's up on YouTube. But we actually also recorded the songs through my XR18, uh, which is the new digital board I bought. And uh, I think the sound quality out of that was just surprisingly phenomenal. good. Surprisingly which, which good. Which after doing that, I realized that you know because all before we were always taking a uh, taking the recorder and setting it in the back of the room, somewhere. wanting to get the the sound that the audience is hearing. Sure. But well, but unfortunately, get so we get noise. the audience too. Yeah. You know, and they're always talking during the middle of our songs. I don't know why people do that. But. <laughs> Now, did you have to match up the audio with the video? No, no. That, that's 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 it's six. That, yeah. That's no, straight no, that, from the phone. That's that, that, that's the video. What's what, oh, okay. Is yep. off the phone. No, we we just have the other for recording. You know, to listen to. But 
you know, if I could figure out, I'm not that tech savvy on trying to do that. I mean, if I could, I, the probably the sound from coming from the X area team would, would be superior. Sure, definitely. But uh, we found what we found is that we can now record all of our shows. All I got to do is just plug in the thing and let it go. Now, when I when I interviewed Doug Smith and I learned he is Doctor Doug Smith. Mm-hmm which I had never known. He said you were, had been in his recording studio sometime in the past year. What did you record? We, we recorded a few of the original songs that hadn't made it onto our two CDs because we felt like that, that we should, and they're ones that we had played out a lot, Oh, What a Day being one of them. Um, just wanted to get some of those. We, we've been threatening to do a third CD for a very long time, so we said, well, let's just, let's just get started with a few songs and not feel like we have to do the project all at once. Yeah. Now, where did you record the first two CDs? Uh, two different recording studios. We did one up in what, uh, what town? In, Hanover. In Hanover, uh, PA. That mm-hmm. and I, Gosh, I wish I could remember that. It was a, a really nice studio. We enjoyed that with Pat um, uh, Colgan. Pat Colgan, yeah. He uh, did a really great job with the first CD, and we went to... Uh, Kenny, Kenny Meeks. Kenny Meeks. Oh, yeah. Did, Kenny Meeks did, did our second one. Did our second one. Yeah. So we, we're, we're look, you know, kicking around the idea of getting a third one. But um, unfortunately, we did a couple there were Doug, and then we the COVID thing really kicked into it. Yeah, us. it's really put a put a damper on that. So a, Lots of stuff. Absolutely. So, so that's what got us kicked then. It's like, okay, maybe let's just go in the basement and get something and try and get something on YouTube. And Well, we you have a, a bad tendency to go into these projects a little budget-minded and then when we listen to it after we're just like well you know maybe we should re-record that song so we we it, it it's a never-ending process yeah. well you know and i believe you should get it to the point where it sounds that you're happy with it but not totally happy because that perfection is never going to arrive yeah. it never will well it's we talk about with the first album we did um we love the stuff on there, but I listen to some of them and think, well, I don't play it that way anymore. Yeah. You know, that we've we've rearranged it, and now it's we play it totally different, or a little bit, not totally, mm-hmm. Things can evolve over what, time. Yeah, than it was before. So it's like, well, maybe we should redo it and do it the way we now. Like, if you listen to our um, YouTube, you're My Baby Don't Love Me No More, mm-hmm. which if you listen to the original recording of that, I don't play it the same way. Yeah. But, but the challenge of those basement recordings, trying to get... Because you have to do it all perfectly. Both vocals and both guitars need to be basically perfect. Through, trying to get through a song without either of us making the slightest amount of mistake. The the number of takes that we had to do mm-hmm. on some of those to get to that point was... Well, you know, there was a couple of them we had to put a week in between. Because we just <laughs> needed just like, to stop we're, we're, going It's like we're done with over. this song today. Yeah. We're, we're going we're gonna to take another try. Yeah. Well, we're pretty much done with the podcast. Oh, You are... Congratulations. You are on overtime now. We're on oh. overtime. <laughs> but, you know, there's two of you. It's yeah. not just one person. Right. And this has been wonderful because I actually have not seen you in person since probably the Christmas show yeah, right. that we did in Hagerstown for mm-hmm. Fame. Which is and, fun. Yeah. And and you are still president of Fame still as president. of this time. As of this time. And uh, we're still planning on doing those Christmas shows again. We're thinking um, positive that we're life thinking will... positive that we're going to be able to pull off Christmas shows. So I'm um, cross your fingers. But matter of fact, I just was sending out for the latest newsletter with fame and uh, just telling everybody that, you know, keep posted. Things yeah. are starting to come loose and, you know, break out and music starting to happen out. And uh, hopefully we'll get some things going eventually. And, uh, you know, and be nice to put on and do a couple events again. 
Well, you know, Safe Harbor, you two, mm-hmm. when I was organizing more shows than I do now, I mean, now I, I pretty much just do the one because Frederick Coffee Company doesn't have any live music until at least September. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's going to change it. I think he's just set that as a, as a, as a date and hopefully it, he's able to do it. The, but of all the people I've worked with over the past seven or eight years, you two are the most requested. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's nice to hear. <laughs> and if I need, I, I, you know, I hate to use trite expressions, but you are part of my group of four or five steady eddies. We like that. We yeah. try to be reliable. Yeah. Well, because I know when I, when someone says, can you have somebody who's, you know, going to be good in, in a general sense, mm-hmm. not everybody can do that. You two do that extremely well, and it doesn't mean to lessen your your talent level or sound. You're just very good at it, well, and so thank you for being my steady eddies. Well, thank, well, thank you. you. Well, We've enjoyed it. One too. thing we we pride ourselves in is we try to get an all round. Uh, be as eclectic as possible because we know there's different people listening. Well, and being so we, aware of what the audience yeah. is hopefully looking for. Try, I mean, we always to, we always say if we want to play for just us, we can sit we, in the living room and do that. Yeah. So we try to do, you know, when people come up and make suggestions and ask for certain things, we try to be prepared. Even If we're not that time, then the next time we try to be prepared with something that we think they're going to like. And we have a, quite a few people that, you know, follow us around from place to place and there are certain songs they like to hear. So. Well, when I played at Red Shedman two weeks ago now, I got there and there was there were three people kind of 30 feet right there. And the one woman, she got up and she started, I was bringing things in. I think I went, put my guitar case over on the electric box for my tip jar. And she kind of walks up and she's, and I'm thinking, she looks familiar. And she goes, well, what are you doing here? <laughs> Safe Harbor's playing. I said, no, no, they're next week. And she goes, no, Catherine sent me an email and said they're playing today. And I said, well, no, actually they're playing next weekend. And it's the, she's at all of your shows. Oh, yes. yes. She has been with all of her shows since we started. Yes. She's but been with us from the start. Has she? Yeah, she has. She been. was not pleased with me. Yeah. <laughs> she, she actually made this Afghan for oh, us. Oh, did she really? Beautiful yes, Afghan. She made that. Uh, so, and she made that guitar that's got the uh, oh, yeah. bottle caps for my birthday one year for me. Oh, terrific. So, yeah, she's been one of our most faithful fans, and uh, she has a couple friends with her coming all the time, and they get up and dance, and a mm-hmm. lovely couple. So, uh, yeah, they, they, she's been with us from the start, from our old poorhouse days in the Westminster. Oh, yeah. I, but I think I remember they enjoy that. your shows, too. Yes. Because your shows are always very nice as well. Well, you know, I'm getting to the point where... <laughs> Midway through the song, I'm like, oh, I used to know the lyric. <laughs> <laughs> la, 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 la. Yeah, la, 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 la. <laughs> well, this has been terrific to sit down with both of you and actually do it in person. But I really enjoy doing it on the phone mm-hmm. because I'm in my own little cozy production yeah. studio with my big, you know, microphone arm and my, my pod mic and everything like that. But this has been a lot of fun. Thank you very much for allowing me to come in to the Safe Harbor Abode. Well, Thank you for, we, we've enjoyed it as well. Yeah, appreciate it, Todd. And we're going to leave you folks with Oh, What a Day by Safe Harbor. Oh. 
in a picnic theater, walks in a cool breeze, waves crouching around me. What a beautiful day, it's the only way to spend a day being lazy. What a crazy feeling, now the senses breathing. Oh, what a day. The Whiskey Mob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is brought to you by Todd C. Walker from the Whiskey Mob Music Studios in Frederick, Maryland, and also on location, like this evening's show with Safe Harbor in Jefferson, Maryland. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you're enjoying it, please spread the word. It's wispymopmusic.podbean.com, and Podbean is spelled P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com, or you can find it on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening.